0: Hello and welcome to JHE Ministries Bible Study, where we study God's Word. I'm Jeffrey, minister and chaplain at JHE Ministries, and I'm glad to have you with us today. Be sure to follow this podcast and receive notifications every time there is a new podcast. We are in the book of Luke. We are unpacking chapter 4. And last time we learned about the temptations of Jesus by Satan. Jesus was in the wilderness or the desert for 40 days, and in that time, God was allowing the devil to tempt Jesus. The devil was trying to alert Christ into sinning, and actually, it was proving that Jesus did not and could never sin and go against God and go against God's will. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to chapter 4, and we're going to begin with verse 13. Let's get into it. Now, verse 13 is going to begin uh, with with Satan leaving. Before that, of course, as I had mentioned, we had been going through all the temptations that Satan was trying to tempt Jesus with. So now in verse 13, we'll begin. Now, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, And news of him went out through all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor." He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah." when the heaven was shut up for three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zephariah in the region of Sidon. To a woman who was a widow, and many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elijah the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue, when they had heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city, And they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. Now I want to stop there, and let's go back up to verse 13. So Satan's leaving. Repulsed by the sword of the Spirit, the devil left Jesus temporarily until a more opportune time. The temptations usually come in spasms, rather than in long streams. That's how Satan likes to work. Now there's several additional points that should be mentioned in connection with the temptation, and there's about five points. The first one being that the order in Luke differs from that in Matthew. We see that the second and the third temptations are reversed. The reason for this is not clear. But secondly, in all three cases, it's important to point out that it was wrong to obey Satan. It's wrong to worship him or any other created being, and it's wrong to tempt God. The third point to make on this section before continuing is that the first temptation concerned the body, the second concerned the soul, and the third temptation concerned the spirit. They appeal respectively to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Fourthly, the three temptations revolve around three of the strongest drives of human existence. They are physical appetite, desire for power and possessions, and then desire for public recognition, claim to fame, if you will. How often disciples are tempted to choose a pathway of comfort and ease, to seek a prominent place in the world and to gain a high position in the church. And then lastly, in all these three temptations, Satan used religious language and thus closed the temptations with a garb of outward respectably. He even quoted scripture. Now, it is sometimes suggested that the temptation would have been meaningless if Jesus was not able to sin. The fact is that Jesus is God, and God cannot sin. The Lord Jesus never relinquished any of the attributes of his deity. His deity was veiled during his life on earth, but it was not and could not be laid aside. Jesus was God, and Jesus was man, and it is unthinkable that he could sin. The purpose of the temptation was not to see if he would sin, but it was more to prove that he could not sin. Only a holy, sinless man could be our Redeemer. And one final thought as we leave this part of our study and continue further The study of the temptation narrative uh, illuminates two important points. On the one hand, it proves that temptation in and of itself is not necessarily sin. On the other hand, the narrative eliminates the great saying of a later disciple that comes from Hebrews of in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, He is able to give assistance to them that are tempted. So Jesus being tempted can give assistance to those that are always tempted. He went through the same thing that we have. There's no temptation that we haven't experienced that Jesus does not know about or hasn't been tempted himself as man. So now we get into preparation by teaching. We're going to get into verses 14 and 15 together here. Now between verses 13 and 14, there is a gap of about one year. During this time, the Lord ministered in Judea. The only record of his ministry of this is in John chapter 2. But once again, as Jesus enters a new phase of his experience, Luke mentions the spatial activity of the Holy Spirit. So far, we have seen the Spirit's activity at Jesus' conception at his baptism, and now at his temptation. When Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee to begin the second year of his public ministry, his fame spread throughout all the surrounding region. As he taught in the Jewish synagogues, he was widely acclaimed. The news that spread about Jesus and the fact that everyone praised him are the first of several observations that Luke makes about public response to Jesus's ministry. Now this passage has an important place in the Lucan presentation, if you will, for it marks the beginning of Luke's record of Jesus's ministry. The setting is Nazareth, it's the place of Jesus's childhood. And there's a lengthy quotation from Isaiah, Isaiah, issues in a proclamation of immediate fulfillment. Now Jesus implies the selection of Gentiles for divine favor. Now since Luke places this event so early in Jesus' ministry, he obviously considers it of prime importance. Where there are two rejections, uh, rejections at Nazareth, is impossible to say with certainty. But also a pattern appears here that there, that is unveiled more clearly later on in Luke and Acts, which is the presentation of the gospel to the Jews in their synagogue. The second pattern is rejection, and the third pattern is turning to the wider Gentile world. Now, this is going to bring us up to verses 16 through 21 that I want to look at together. Luke emphasizes that Jesus was in the town of Nazareth. We know this is his boyhood hometown in which he grew up. And Jesus regularly went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And Sabbath back then was on Saturday. Now, Luke stresses Jesus' piety by referring to his custom. Of synagogue attendance. Joseph and Mary were very loyal and obedient to God, so he would have been taught this from a very early age, the Jewish custom that we go to synagogue and worship God. Now this strengthens the contrast with his rejection because there were two other things which we read that he did regularly. He prayed regularly and he made it a habit to teach others. He was a teacher. On one visit to the synagogue, Jesus rises to read from the Old Testament scriptures. The attendant handed him the scroll on which Isaiah's prophecy was written. The Lord, he unrolls the scroll to what we now know is Isaiah chapter 61, and it reads verses 1 and the first half of verse 2. Now, this passage has always been acknowledged as a description of the ministry of the Messiah. Now, when Jesus said, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, he was saying in the clearest possible manner that he was the Messiah of Israel. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. The quotation has, has significance, both as our Lord's statement of his call to the saving ministry and as Luke's affirmation of this ministry as a, thema- as a thema- thematic in his gospel. Uh, it's a theme. Now, Jesus identifies himself as the subject of Isaiah's prophetic word. So there are three elements that are emphasized here. The first one is that Jesus is the bearer of the Spirit that was received at his baptism. His ministry will be uniquely marked by the presence of the Spirit as prophetically foretold. Now, the second point is Jesus is an astrological prophet, a role that is intertwined with that of John the Baptist as the prophetic forerunner. Now, Jesus, not John, was the prophet predicted in Deuteronomy chapter 18. But Luke gives special attention to Jesus as a prophet in a number of ways. In the present passage, the prophetic mission described by Isaiah A mission of proclamation of good news, is accepted by Jesus. And thirdly, the prophetic role of Jesus overlaps his role as Messiah. His ministry of deliverance for the oppressed is messianic in character. Now this assumption probably lays behind the doubts in John's mind when his release from prison was not forthcoming. But notice the revolutionary implication of the Messiah's mission. He came to deal with the enormous problems that have afflicted mankind throughout history. The good news Jesus was to proclaim recalls both the joyful announcement that we saw in chapter 1 and the message of the angel in chapter 2. It builds on Isaiah chapter 40, verse 9, on chapter 41, verse 27, and also on chapter 52, verse 7. The poor, like the prisoners, the blind, and the oppressed, are not only the unfortunate of this world, but those who have a spatial need of dependence on God. Poverty to preach the gospel to the poor. Sorrow to heal the brokenhearted. Bondage, a bondage to proclaim liberty to the captives. Suffering and recovery of sight to the blind. Oppression to set at liberty those who are In short, Jesus claimed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the dawning of a new era for this world's sighing, sobbing multitudes. Jesus presented himself as the answer to all the ills and the torments. And it is true, whether you think of these ills in a physical sense or in a spiritual sense, Christ is the answer to them all. Now the year of the Lord's favor is reminiscent of the Jubilee, one year in every 50 years when debts were forgiven and all the slaves were set free. And we read about that, we will read about that eventually in Leviticus chapter 25. It defines the time in history when God in sovereign grace brings freedom from the guilt and the effects of sin. The inclusion of this quotation is consistent with Luke's stress on the dawning of the new age of salvation. Now, it is significant that he stopped reading with the words to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He did not add the rest of the words from Isaiah and the day of vengeance of our God. The purpose of his first coming was to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. This present age of grace is the accepted time and the day of salvation. When Jesus returns to the earth the second time, it will be to proclaim the day of vengeance of our God. Now, the omission of the next phrase in Isaiah chapter 61 to the day of vengeance of our God, that is also significant. Jesus' audience would suppose that the day of their salvation would be the day of judgment on their pagan enemies, but the delay of judgment means that this time of the Lord's favor benefits the gentiles also. Jesus affirms in verses 24 through 27 that gentiles are also recipients of God's grace even when Jews were not so blessed. And note that the acceptable time is spoken of as a year is the vengeance time as a day. Now in verse 20 we now have a description of the synagogue procedure, okay? Jesus hands back the scroll to the attendant who had the sacred duty of handling the revered scroll. Now, after this was replaced in its cabinet or its ark, the reader took the customary sitting position for instructive comments on the passage. You stood to read and you sat down to talk about it. Now Luke begins to record the response of the congregation, which is at first intense attention, and ultimately, hostility. Now, the, phrases, uh, the phrase, eyes fixed on him, shows intense emotion. And in verse 21, the only comment in Jesus that Luke records is short, but it is of the highest importance. He announces the fulfillment of the re- reading from Isaiah concerning the subject of the prophecy, which is Jesus, and the time of God's gra- gracious work, which is today. The term "fulfilled" is not a prominent in uh, the, the the term "fulfilled" is not as prominent in Luke as it is in Matthew. Only here and in the Emmaus conversation does Luke use the word in relation to the relation to the fulfillment fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. In other words, these two references to prophetic fulfillment stand out at the beginning and the end of Jesus's public appearances. And this emphasizes the fulfillment of God's eternal purpose in Christ's ministry. Unfortunately, that's all the time I have for you today. But until next time, God bless you all and keep living Christian strong.